0: Welcome to the first Three Circle Church Sunday broadcast of 2021. So let me uh, extend to you a belated Happy New Year. I mean, that's what we've been waiting for, isn't it? That's what we've all been hoping for. Been looking forward to a fresh start, a new beginning, uh, some new opportunities. I mean, our mantra for what nine plus months now has been, I can't wait until 2020 is over. I can't wait until 2021 gets here and it's almost as if at 11:59 uh, on new year's eve collectively we walked up right to the threshold of a brand new year and as soon as the clock hit midnight we jumped through that door slammed the door behind us slammed it on a year that has been unprecedented in the number of people who have gone through difficulty and through t- trouble uh, throughout this year. You see, I, I'm afraid though, even though we were so anxious and because we were uh, so cautious to get into this year and close the door on the last, uh, I'm afraid we didn't close the door quickly enough. I think there are some things that, that stepped with us into this brand new year. I mean, the reality is that we're still dealing with a pandemic. The reality is that we still are a divided nation. We're still dealing with, uh, with the social tension and still having to deal with political chaos. Uh, but even on a personal level, uh, I believe that uh, you know, all of us brought some things with us into this year from the last year. Maybe for you, maybe it's uh, an ongoing health issue. It may be that it's a relational problem or a financial problem, but these are things that we've been dealing with. And now we're in a brand new year and we're going to have to still deal with those things, but those are the things we know. You know, the question is, you know, what are we going to do in 2021 with the unknowns? You see, I read one time where the ancient uh, cartographers, the map makers, uh, that they didn't have the advantage of modern technology. They didn't have global positioning and they didn't have satellite imagery. So if they were going to map an area, they had to literally go there. They had to walk that area. They had to explore the area. They had to identify the, the hills and the valleys and the lakes and the streams. and the towns and the villages. They had to find them, measure, they had to record the names. And then when they had uh, explored all that they were going to explore, they would go back and they would draw their map, putting all this information in. But on all those maps, there was area beyond the region that they had explored, beyond the area that they were mapping. And I read where that some of those cartographers, that the area beyond what had been explored, the unknown area, they would simply put this heading there. They would simply say, Beyond here, there be dragons. Now think about that. Beyond here, there be dragons. not that they actually had seen a dragon. It's just that a dragon was the scariest thing that they thought of. And so they were just illustrating the point that that the unknown can be something that we should be afraid of. And, and so the reality is it may be beyond the point that they had just uh, uh, explored. It could have been amazing. It could have been beautiful. It could have been uh, j- just you know these phenomenal landscapes, but yet but you know, then again, maybe there was a dragon. You know, the reality is that Uh, in 2021, this year could be the best ever for you. It could be a year that some phenomenal things are are going to take place in your life. It could be that this is the year that something that you have prayed and worked diligently for is going to come to a realization. But it could also be a year where you encounter a dragon, not a real dragon, of course, but it could be that this is the year that you face a problem or a crisis that you had no way of anticipating. And it's going to be a situation that could shake you to your core and cause you to be filled with fear. But as believers, then the question is, how will we respond in this new year to those unknowns? When we come face to face with an unknown that is not just unknown, but it's frightening. It's scary. I read the story one time of a boat captain, and uh, the, the ship that he was in command of was in the midst of a tremendous storm. Everybody on board was afraid for their lives, and, and one sailor went to the captain and, and asked him, he said, Captain, are, are we going to be safe? Well, the captain was honest, and he told him, he said, son, uh, the boilers on this ship are old and they're weak, and they could explode at any minute. And he said, besides that, the ship is taking on a lot of water and it could be that we sink at any minute. So we could blow up or we could sink down. The sailor asked him, said, well, Captain, what are we going to do then? And he simply responded that what we're going to do is we're going to keep going on. You see, I think that, the as you know, the Bible is filled with Scripture that tells us that in circumstances that are frightening, in circumstances that are scary, it tells us over and over and over again, not to fear. It tells us to not be afraid, that when we face life's challenges, that we're to have courage and and to not be afraid. I mean, over and over and over again, it tells to us, don't be afraid, do not fear. have you ever asked yourself, why does it tell us that so often in Scripture? And it's really because that's the default reaction when we face certain problems in life. I mean, the reality is, when you get a bad report from the doctor, our default is to fear. I mean, when, when your spouse tells you they don't love you anymore and that they're leaving, the default reaction is fear. When you're already strapped financially and the boss calls you in and tells you because of the economic situation, they're going to have to let you know. The default reaction is that you're going to fear. But again, the question is, so what do we do? The Bible says don't fear, but let's just be honest. Just because I tell you not to fear doesn't mean that that's automatically going to take away your fear. It's sort of like my boys when they were young and, and as they would get, you know, get old enough, we'd take them to the pool and, you know, put the floaties on them and get them used to being in the water. They would get comfortable with that. But, you know, as a dad, eventually I couldn't wait for the moment. I could stand them up on the side of the pool and say, now I want you to jump in. And immediately their response was to be afraid. No, I'm afraid. I don't want to do it. I'm afraid. And then what would I do? I would tell them, well, there's no reason to be afraid. I would tell them, you've got your floaties on. That's going to keep you above the water. Look, I'll get in the water. I'm right here. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And eventually they would jump into the water for that first time. Well, the question is, did they do it because they stopped being afraid or did they do it in spite of their fear? You see, I I think the latter is true. I think that they didn't stop being afraid, but they went ahead and did it in spite of their anxiety and their fear. You see, that's the very definition of courage. The Bible calls us to be courageous. And the definition is not the absence of fear, but the ability to move forward even in spite of the fear. And I think that that is what God is calling us to. And I think there will be occasions in 2021 where that will be the call of God upon your life, to be courageous. Now, courageous people take action in the face of fear. They fear forward. It's like the captain saying, these things could happen but we're going to go forward. God doesn't want us to be paralyzed by our fear. He wants us to be able to move forward in the face of our fear. So whatever you're dealing with, whatever your ongoing issues are, or whatever the dragon may be at some point during this year that springs out from behind the corner. God wants us as believers to show grit and determination, perseverance, and and persistence to move forward in the face of our fear. But how does someone do that? Well, we're also taught that courageous people have developed an unshakable trust in God. That's how they do it. They just trust God, but you know, let me explain it this way. I want you to turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter one, and we're gonna read beginning with verse one, but I, I want to sort of set the stage. The children of Israel have wandered for 40 years. They're now at the brink of stepping over into the promised land. I'm sure they thought that Moses who had led them through the wilderness was going to go with them into the promised land, but instead he dies And now Joshua has been named as the leader of the people to lead them into the promised land. Now, here's the deal. Joshua, there were a lot of things about the promised land Joshua didn't know about, but there were some things he did know about because he had been there 40 years earlier. He knew that that there were giants in the land, these fierce warriors that occupied the land. He knew that there were cities that were so fortified, they looked like cities that had been walled up to the sky, that they were impregnable. There was nothing you could do to conquer that city. He he knew that once they got in the land, they would be surrounded by enemies who would want to destroy them. And so here's what God says to him. Let's just read this passage beginning in verse one. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, The Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates river, All the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, be careful Be strong. Be courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So what did Joshua do? Well, he did exactly what God told him to do. They crossed the Jordan. They went into the promised land. They conquered cities. They took over this land that was filled with milk and honey. They possessed uh, fields they didn't plant, vineyards that they that they didn't plant. They took over uh, herds and flocks that were not theirs. They did all of that. But I believe that Joshua led them in spite of his fear, in spite of his anxiety, because God said, I need you to be courageous. I need you to act in spite of what you might feel. So how do we, like Joshua, how do we learn to to move forward in life in spite of the fear we may have at the circumstance. Like I said, courageous people, they have this unshakable trust in God. So what is it about God that they trust in? Well, first of all, I believe they trust in the presence of God. If you noticed again in in Joshua 1 verse 9, God says, have I not commanded you? Don't Don't be mistaken. I'm the one telling you to go. And so then he says, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He promised him his presence and Joshua trusted in the presence of God. We also have that promise, right? In Hebrews 13, 5, it says, for he has said, God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, it's interesting to me that in the original Greek language, there are five negatives in that statement. In the English language, when we put two negatives together, it's called a double negative, and that's not proper. But in the Greek, obviously, you can put five, if not more, negatives in one statement, and it's okay. And this is the way it reads with those negatives there. I will never, no, not ever, no, never Leave nor forsake you. So, God is saying that whatever it is that we may face in this new year, whatever happens in this new year, that He will be there. Now, I want to make a distinction for you about the presence of God for just a second. There's a difference between saying God is everywhere and saying God is here. Now, The statement God is everywhere is a reference to the to the omnipresence of God. That nature of God that says God is present and his presence is inescapable. He is everywhere present at all times. You can't get away from the presence of God. No matter where you go, no matter where you are, God is present. God is everywhere. But then if we make the statement that God is here, that's referring to something a little bit different. That's referring to the manifest presence of God. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, the manifest presence of God is something that occurs in actual time and space and results in biblical truth being carried from the mind to the heart. Now, don't get all freaked out and think we're going to you know, go hyper-spiritual here. We're, we're not. Let's just think about this from a common sense standpoint. We're just saying that the manifest presence of God, this is something that happens in a moment of time where what we know in our head, which is that God is everywhere, suddenly we know that in our heart. It moves to our heart and we begin to realize that God is not just everywhere. God is right Now, let let me explain it this way from personal experience. Uh, Phyllis and I had, my wife had not been married very long, and uh, we faced a a medical crisis in in our family. In fact, it was a a life or death situation. Uh, The prognosis that uh, we had been given was not good. In fact, it was uh, really one filled with hopelessness, that we were told there's nothing that could be done about our situation. And so we began to deal with this uh, over a period of weeks and, and on into several months. And there was a particular moment in time, I was a, a student in college, I, I was working a job uh, trying to support the family at the same time and, and plus facing this medical crisis. And I remember this one particular time that, that I, I drove up to the house and pulled into our driveway. And as I turned the car off and, to prepare myself to walk into our home, uh, I lost it. Uh, I came totally unglued. I, I had come to the end of myself, and and just so you'll know, that's not a bad place to be. To get to the end of yourself, you suddenly find God and and what God can do in your life. But I'd exhausted all my resources. I'd exhausted all of my strength and I really didn't start praying. I I just began weeping profusely, tears pouring down my face. And and it wasn't a prayer as as much as it was a venting. And I just began to cry out, I can't do this anymore. I can't handle this. Not just the pressure of what I need to be and what I need to do in this moment, but thinking about what's going to happen in the next few weeks or months. I can't handle that. I don't know what to do with this. And in that moment of time, now, understand me, there there was not the sound of a heavenly choir there. uh, The the clouds didn't part and a ray of light shine into that car where I was there you know, there, there was not the fragrance of incense or any other type of thing. But in that moment of time, I became fully aware, fully cognizant that God wasn't just everywhere, but that God was right there. He was right there in that car with me. I sensed his presence. My, the, the head knowledge moved to my heart and I experienced the presence of God and I just continued to to pour my heart out and I began to ask him for help and just continued to weep and all I could sense in my spirit that was taking place, I could just simply hear him saying to me, trust me, not some audible voice, just sensing it in my spirit, trust me. And I continued to pray and continued to pray. And the, the, the more I prayed, the, the more it became real to me that God was present. I just kept hearing him say, trust me, trust me, trust me. So I got out of my car, I went into my house, trusting that God was there. And over the course of the next several weeks and months, uh, as we were dealing with this medical crisis, Every time I would begin to feel overwhelmed with the circumstance or begin to have my mind just filled with negative thoughts, I would simply remind myself that God is here. He is here right now. Now the reality is that God, when it was all said and done, worked a miracle. He did what all the doctors said was impossible. But even to this day, as I think back on that, even if God had not performed the miracle, it would not diminish the reality that in that moment of time, I knew that God was present right there where I was. And we just need to learn to trust in the fact that God is here, but God is also, you know, right there where you are right now. They also had a trust in the provision of God. I mean, how would God provide for Joshua and his people? If you read the story, read the account, you see that he promised them his presence, that he was going to go with them. He would be there. He promised them the land, that he was providing them with the land. And in giving them the land, he was giving them everything they needed to sustain themselves all the food that they would eat, all the meat that they would need, the cities to live in, he was giving all of that to them. He promised them security, that he would protect them, that they did not have to be afraid because he was going to provide the security for them. Well, I think that God was just simply saying, I will meet all your needs. Whatever those needs are, I'm going to meet them. And God has said the same thing to us. He's promised us the same in Philippians four nineteen it says that my God shall supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. My God shall supply all your need. He will supply all your need. Now what we need to note about that is that this is the promise of future blessing. Notice that my God will supply. When the need arises, God will supply. Whenever that is down the road, next week, next month, whenever it is, God will supply. You see, this kind of promise addresses the the what-if battle that we always face in the midst of crisis. When we're always thinking, well, what if this happens? Or what if that happens? What if things go in this direction? Or what if they go in that direction? Then we begin to get anxious about those possibilities. But here, what God is saying to us is that it doesn't matter which direction they go. It doesn't matter what happens, that He will provide our need. He has made a promise to us of future blessing. You see, if we learn to trust in God's promise of our future needs being met, it'll be very hard for fear to survive. You know, I, I want you to notice something about that statement that God will supply our need. Because I want us to notice that it says he'll supply our need according to his riches and glory. It doesn't say he'll he'll provide them, you know, out of his riches and glory. According to, not out of. Now there's a big difference there. One's proportional, one is disproportional. And, And explain, let me explain it this way. Let's say you had a friend that was a multimillionaire. Don't we all wish we had one that was a multimillionaire? But let's say that, that you're going through uh, a, a terrible time financially. You and your family are on the verge of losing everything. You've worked hard, done everything that you knew to do, but because of circumstances beyond your control, you're on the verge of losing everything. And you just by chance bump into this friend of yours. And just like we normally do, you know, your friend says, well, how are you doing? Well, you decide that day to really tell him how you're doing. And so you lay it all out there. You know, we're in a financial mess. We're about to lose everything. I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know how that, that uh, you know, we're gonna be able to, uh, I'm gonna be able to provide for my wife for my kids. It, it's just a mess. And I say, after hearing your story, your friend says to you, say, well, listen, man, you're a friend and I wanna do something to help you. Would you let me help you in this crisis? And you humble yourself and you say, sure, uh, you know, anything that you could do, I, I, I would be glad to accept it. And so he reaches into his wallet and he pulls out a $20 bill and he hands it to you. Well, Let me ask you the question. Did he attempt to meet your need according to his riches or did he do it out of his riches? We see he did it out of his riches. What he did for you is totally disproportionate to the resource that he had. So he he just, you know, he he just sort of gave gave you token help at that moment of time. But what scripture is telling us is that God gives to us out of an abundance. He gives, he supplies our every need according to his riches. Now, this is important to know about God, that whatever God does is done in a way that is worthy of himself. He's not going to shortchange us. He's not going to hold back from us, but he's going to supply our need according to his riches in glory. Now, my wife and I, we've been married for 45 or 48 years. I've been in ministry now, full-time ministry, for uh, over 42 years now. And during that time, we have seen over and over again how God will supply your need, even, even needs that you don't even know you have or that are coming up. I remember several years ago, because of uh, where we were in ministry and some circumstances we don't have time to get into right now, we've, we found ourselves in a tough spot financially. And matter of fact, there, there was a, an evening when my wife said that she was going to go fix supper, but then she said, I need you to know that when I fix this meal, we won't have anything left in the house to eat. And I looked at her and I said, are you serious? She said, I'm serious, I'm fixing the very last bit of food that we have. And so she fixed a meal. We gathered down the table and I began to pray and I, I would love to tell you I prayed some kind of, you know, heaven shaking prayer, you know, but it, it was just a basic prayer. I just thank God for the provision, for the fact that he had supplied that meal and, thanked him for the fact that he had always supplied for us and, and just made a statement of faith that God, I believe that you're going to continue to supply our needs. And so I prayed that prayer and we started to eat and I, I no longer, you know, I mean, I barely got started eating and all of a sudden there was a knock at our door. And so I got up from the table and I walked the approximately 10 feet you know, to the door. When I opened the door, there was no one there. No one could be seen anywhere. But what was there? Our porch was covered. Our steps were covered all the way down to the sidewalk with bags full of groceries. And so we stopped our eating and we rejoiced for a little bit. And then we started bringing the groceries in and we filled up our cabinets from having empty cabinets to in just a moment's time, having full cabinets. And to this day, I don't know who bought those groceries. I don't know who placed them on our porch and on our steps. But this one thing I do know, I know who provided those groceries. I know that God provided because God promised that he would meet, he would provide for every need that we have. And God will provide for you in 2021, whatever it is you need. It's not always financial. Maybe what you're going to need in this year is going to be peace or comfort or encouragement or maybe more wisdom or more joy. Maybe you're going to need guidance and direction. Maybe your need will be physical, emotional, or relational. Whatever it is, God is saying that out of His abundance, He will supply your every need. And make sure that you understand in the Greek, that statement, every need, means every need. Whatever your needs are, God has promised that He will provide. Well, then lastly, I think one of the things that that courageous people learn to trust in is that they learn to trust in the providence of God. See, God told Joshua that he had already given them the land. They had not crossed the Jordan. They had not fought a battle. They had not done anything yet, but God says, I have given you the land. You see, that's possible only because of divine providence. Now, here's what we mean. The doctrine of divine providence asserts that, it, that God is in complete control of all things. He is in complete control of everything. I mean, just to, you know, scan the scripture, you see that that the word of God says that God is in complete control of the universe as a whole. He's in control uh, of this physical world. He's in control of the affairs of nations. He's in control of human destiny. He's in control of human successes or failures. He's in control of protection of his people. It's just on and on and on. It just tells us God is in absolute, control. I was reminded of this just just a few short days ago when I was doing some Bible study. I was reading and studying about the children of God during their exile period, during the Babylonian captivity, if you're familiar with with that term. And let me just sort of put it in context for you. You know, there came a time where the, the Babylonian kingdom, the army came and uh, attacked Jerusalem. They eventually destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. There was not one stone left upon another. Uh, they took all of the, uh, of the treasures and the, and the precious items of the temple. And then they took uh, all of the healthy, the young uh, citizens of Jerusalem, they took them back to Babylon. And during the next period of years that they were held in this captivity for approximately 70 years, they had reached a point where they had lost all hope of, uh, of ever being redeemed. Uh, They had lost their joy. They were despondent. There are even statements in scripture where the Babylonians would mock them by asking them to sing songs of their their city, Jerusalem, to sing songs of celebration. But the Hebrews had said, how can we sing these songs in a foreign land? It says they, they took their instruments, their harps, and they hung them on a willow branch because they would never sing of Jerusalem again. But history tells us and the Bible tells us that God raised up a king by the name of Cyrus the Great and that he placed it in his heart to release God's people so that they could go back to Jerusalem. So he did that. He gave them all of the treasures of the temple. He gave them safe passage. He gave them the the resources out of his own treasury so that they could build the temple and rebuild the city. And Cyrus had become basically the emperor of the world in a sense. He had conquered almost every nation, which put him in a position to be able to do that. But I was reading in, in Isaiah 45, verses 1 through 3, where Isaiah talks about how God raised up Cyrus and how God worked in Cyrus's life. And so read this with me. It says, Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him and to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him that gates may not be closed, I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes and secret places that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by name. So he's describing how Cyrus would be used by God and how God would assist him in becoming this emperor of the world. But here is what is so cool about what Isaiah is saying, and it's so inspirational. You see, Isaiah was writing this 150 years before the birth of Cyrus. There, there was no exile. There was no destruction of Jerusalem in the temple. There, there were no people in captivity. No one knew Osiris. No one knew of the Persian Empire. None of this had happened yet, but yet God doesn't give just some uh, abstract comment about one day somebody may come along and may set some people free, but instead God calls him by his name. Guys, in 2021, we have to make sure that we never forget that God is in control. I mean, when it seems like the world around us is spinning out of control, we have to remember that that's not true. God is in control. When your world, when your life seems to be falling apart, remember, God is in control. I mean, this year, when the unexpected happens, when you run into one of those dragons, just remember God is in control. He is even in control of the dragon. You see, I, I want to close with what I think is the most pointed scripture about the providence of God, this, this nature of God that says He is sovereign and that He is in control. And it's one that many of us are familiar with, Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. There's some translations that word it this way, God works in all things for good. How could he possibly do that? How could he work in all things so that some good is done, so that his will is accomplished? It can only happen because God is sovereign and because God is in absolute control. As 2021 ebbs and flows, I mean, I hope that you during this year will learn to trust in his presence. And just remember, he is always there. He is always with you. To trust in his provision, to understand that God is already making provision for a need that you don't even know about yet because of his promise of future supply. And then trust in his providence I mean, while while this year is unknown to us, it's uncharted to us. We don't know what's going to happen in the remaining days of this year. The reality is that it's not unknown to God. God already has been there before we ever get there. And so what we need to do is we just need to learn in this year to trust God.